Welcome to Chemo Glow, where the glow doesn't define me, I define the glow. This episode is really interesting because I recorded it on April 19th, and it's called The Three Big C's, Cancer, COVID, and Care. Well, on April 22nd, my brother was diagnosed with COVID-19 and hospitalized. I hope you guys take this all in and listen to the whole episode because we're talking about not just a cancer diagnosis, not just COVID, but also about the care when someone's being diagnosed with cancer, COVID, and you're not able to be in the room with that person because of the care they need to make sure the patient stays safe. So I hope you enjoy episode eight, the three big C's, cancer, COVID, and care with RN Erica. you're listening to chemo glow with your girl regina oh my god i'm cracking up already because my girl has put a mask on while we are facetiming doing this podcast (laughs) say hello to erica erica introduce yourself hello my name is erica mack um i am a friend a cousin a nurse a mom I'm just me. You're everything, right? Well, I guess. <laughs> what you've been doing to keep yourself busy during this quarantine? Um. Well, I'm still working, of course. I work at the hospital. Uh-huh. And on my days off, because actually I got called off. So I haven't been to work since Tuesday. Wow. I got called off on Thursday. And um, literally, I've been in the house. I tried to go get some strawberries, but... Like one of those strawberry farms, uh-huh. but they were so packed and they ran out before I got there. And movies, eating, um, sleeping. Uh-huh. And like I said today, my husband put on some old school music and I started rolling because I rolling around, put on my skates and rolled around the house for a good, I want to say about 30, 45 minutes. And he kept saying, she is you, really skating. You were roller skating for 45 minutes like you were back in Fayetteville at the ring. Getting it Becky, in. Get the skating ring. Yes, on a, mm-hmm. Getting it in. Well, he was. He had the music right. He had the skating ring music going, and I was like, "Man!" So he was mm-hmm. D nice, and you was getting it in. I was getting it in. I yes. know that's right. Well, I've been knowing you. Goodness, we grew up in the same neighborhood. Your brother is one of my dearest, oldest friends. And then I happened to end up being part of y'all family. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so um, you were at the lovely wedding where I met my husband. And you guys are first cousins? Correct. We first are first cousins. Co- first cousins. So you were there, um, even on the beach. 
when our hair was absolutely big because it was sprinkling outside. Yes, yes. We were uh, rocking the all natural all day long. And so you've been there for a while, but you also was there when I was diagnosed. Um, were you working in the field that you're working in now um, when I was diagnosed with cancer? Because you currently work where? I currently work on a med surge slash oncology floor in the hospital. Okay. Um, and at that time, no, I did um, community mental health at that time. Okay. When we first, I think when we first really, around that time, yes, I was not where, where I am now. Okay. So when, what what is your experience with the GLOW? How many people have you met outside of work um, who's been diagnosed with cancer? Outside of work? Mm-hmm. Um, um, let's see. My... My mother-in-law, mm-hmm. I've taken her to, I actually have taken her to radiation before uh-huh. um, and stayed with her. A, uh, a old, I have actually, matter of fact, just the other day I was told that, oh, I think and I told, I think I told you before that yeah. one of my old co-workers yeah. really close to me, like back to when we worked in a group home together, probably 20 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, and we just um, stayed close he ended up having pancreatic cancer. Yes. <clears throat> and we were around the same age. He, he got it. I want to say, la- I think he told me about it last year. And um, he also, at the same time, has um, was diagnosed. He also has been diagnosed with bipolar depression. Yes. But with all that going on, he's had a few manic episodes yes. and all this. But at this current time, I got a text the other day. Um, someone just reached out to me and let me know that... Um, that um, his cancer has spread and that they were going to put him on um, take when he leaves Duke this time, he's probably going to, they're going to take him to hospice. Hospice care. And that was like, I want to say Friday. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. I was giving this information like, um, and yeah, he was, we were like the best of friends that, you know, because we worked together. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, because we're so young, and cancer doesn't care what you're doing, how old you are, if you own kids, if you're getting married, if you're just living your best life. It says, hey, it doesn't even knock on the door. It blows it down, and it says, right. I'm here. And I know right. when I was diagnosed, um, luckily I married an amazing man um, right. because he was there from the beginning, and he's still here. Um but one of the things I remember going to your wedding and was I wearing a wig at the time? I believe I was. And I was going through treatment. I was going through um, chemotherapy. I had mm-hmm. what I call the, the glow. Because mm-hmm. um, when you get sick, they can tell you you're sick. People don't notice you're sick until that glow starts. When that chemo starts to take out your hair and does something to your skin, it really does affect not just you, but the people who are looking at you you. around. Because my first go around, um, we didn't have a lot of family around. And I still remember when your sister, um, her flight was delayed and she needed somewhere to come while her flight Mm -hmm. was delayed. And I hadn't seen anybody. And she knocked on the door and I happened to open it. And her eyes was like, oh, my God. 
She didn't want to. She didn't say anything. Her eyes just said, "You look like you about to die." And at that time, I felt like I was about to die, and that was the reaction that I always um, wanted to stay away from, because then you got to put your best foot forward, make sure they're comfortable, and they're trying to make sure you're comfortable, and you're both just sitting there like, "Would you leave or would you go lay down?" Like, what, what we gonna do here? So it's that elephant in the room. Yeah. That- everybody's trying to make the other person feel comfortable and you don't even feel like making that person feel comfortable, mm-hmm. but you feel like, well, I have to sort of, sort of, it's that elephant. It's that elephant in the room. Well, working in the field that you're working in, what are some of the things that you see um, working on the floor that you work on? I kind of see it all. I see, um, we get a lot of patients, like, when they first, their first round of chemo, depending mm-hmm. on what kind it is, they have to come into the hospital and have it done. Mm-hmm. Or some people, they have chemo done, um, and then from the side effects, from the nausea and vomiting, they have to come in from just dehydration. Mm-hmm. To the other day, um, and this, like, really just touched my heart. Now, with everything going on with the coronavirus, mm-hmm. you know, you can't have any visitors. And this lady came in, and um, she was only 52, and I remember... Um, she, I walked in a room, um, and the oncologist had just came in and came out, mm-hmm. and she didn't understand anything that he had said to her, and um, she was like, can my husband come in? And I just remember her having to go through that by herself. He had yeah. just told her that it had spread. Yeah. Um, and that, so this lady had just found out, like, two or three days before that she had cancer, and they're coming in telling her that it has spread, and yeah. that she's going to have to get a port, yeah. um, a port put in, and... Um, start chemo like the next week and uh-huh. she is just like having to deal with it all by herself because she can't have her no one can come in come to into the hospital and I went and said can we not make an exception for her uh-huh. and you know they told they, they were like no Erica we can't you know and I just felt so bad you know that that's so, heartbreaking because Tavares was at every appointment like they didn't ask where I was. They were like, where's your husband? I'm like, uh, I'm the one getting chemo. But they knew him. He was an advocate for my care for a reason. Because when you're being told all this stuff, you don't hear anything after that. It's like no. blah, 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 blah. And I think one of the most important things is for a caregiver to be present or someone to take notes where they can come back and say, this was said to you. And this is what what you're going through. But going through um, this coronavirus, not being able to have your loved ones there, that means no one can come in during um, chemo treatments anymore. No, exactly. Wow. How is that hurting the patients, not having someone sitting beside them? Um, you, They feel alone. I mean... The most right now, like I said, the floor that I work on, our census is low because we aren't getting because I work on a floor where we have the um, cancer patients Mm -hmm. and with their immune systems being compromised. We won't get coronavirus patients on the floor I work on. So um, they I mean, honestly, if people you feel alone, I don't say you feel abandoned, but you almost feel mistreated. Yeah. Because you can't have someone there with you. It's not, you know, it's not fair. You understand why. Yeah. But that don't mean that you have to like it. Mm -hmm. You know, 
this one and so um a lot of times if i have the time i'll go in and sit this one lady the other day i, I mean she was crying she had um the she had cancer she had been in and out the hospital for um since November, this lady told me she had been in the hospital more than she had been out of the hospital since November. She was like, I'm hurting, I'm dying, I got an infection. And I, I was sitting there, and she started crying, and I just held her hand, and I was like, can I get the um, um, spiritual counselor to come up and talk to you, you know, the chaplain to come yeah. up? You know, he might brighten your spirits. And she was like, no, I don't want my spirits to be brightened yeah. right now. And I said... I said, I, you know, I understand. I said, sometimes, and so I just sat there and listened, and I sat down on the side of the bed, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, I have 50, 11, 87 other things to do, uh-huh. but none of that mattered, because I sat there, and I know I sat down on the side of her bed for like 20 minutes, and yeah. literally, I'm on my knees, yeah, so that I could be eye level with this lady. I'm on a concrete floor, but, you know, at that time, nothing mattered, and then her IV had, a, her IV had actually, um, was leaking so i had the iv team come in and she's crying while the iv team lady was in there and she the lady she didn't know what to say yeah or what was going on and so um when i walked out and i was like um i was like i'm she was like you were great and i was like i said in, in your mind you when don't. you're in there with someone you don't know if you're saying the right thing the wrong thing if you feel stupid mm-hmm. but whatever's on my heart that's what i say yeah um and that's all I, you know, because I really feel like, especially right now, a lot of patients just feel alone. Like I said, it's a scary feeling to be in the hospital. All, all these by people yourself. are coming at you with, you've got a, a um, specialist, you've got the oncologist coming in, then you have your hospitalist coming in, then you have physical therapy coming in, you may have a nutritionist coming in, and you're like, who the hell are all these people? <laughs> I told my husband, if one more person come through this door and they not my doctor, we going to have a problem because I, I, I love the way that UNC works where you have multiple people come in, but they also have other people come in. And then I said, one more person asked me if I had soy, I think I'm going to choke them out. And then when I started volunteering there and I was now one of those people knocking on the door, hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm from the resource center down, down, you know, downstairs. And I kept saying, I thought this was invasive when I was here. I think it's invasive for me to do this. One lady was like, I do not have cancer. And I was like, oh, ma'am, I am so sorry. And that was my last day volunteering for that position simply because it needed to be ran a better way. Like too many people are knocking on the door and who's this other person. But I did have one that was like, yes, thank you. Tell me more. And she actually went to one of the programs that I talked about, get real and heal because she wanted to exercise, but it's knowing the patient and knowing where they're at and not piling stuff on them. So what is the best thing for a caregiver to do when they're coming in, sitting with a patient who's going through treatment? Just coming into the hospital, you mean? Yeah, coming into the hospital when they're going through treatment. Like for my husband, he did really well. He took notes. He was able to speak up. Um, The doctors actually spoke to him. But I have been in a situation with other friends where if you're not an advocate for the person's care... They're going to talk directly to that person. And they're supposed to be working on more bedside manner, even when you're doing that. So what do you do to encourage um, like caregivers to be a part of the team? 
one thing that, well, for me, as a nurse, we focus on, right now, um, we're pushing narrative care. Okay. But that's something that I've always done anyway. Like, when you go into the room, I'm all, I'm high. My name is Erica. Um, mm-hmm. And I always go in and I'm like, hey, my name is Erica. I'm going to be your nurse today. I'm going to be here all day. I'll mm-hmm. let you know that I'm going to be here from 7 a.m. to 7.30. If you need anything, I'm the one you call. If you push this button right here, it's going to ring to my phone. Oh. So I want you to know that I'm here. Um, and... No question is a dumb question. Like, if you got, you know, if I don't have the answer, we're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, in every room, there is a notepad. Um, you know, one of them little notepads or whatever, like a sticky note thing mm-hmm. and a pencil. If you have a question, write it down. Because that doctor's only coming in there for five to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. It's that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand, stop him and ask him what he said. Because mo- I'm not going to say most doctors. I'm going to say... um there's a large percentage of doctors that speak a different language mm-hmm. and where English is their second language. And so you're sitting there trying to, um, trying to figure out what they said. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're confused. So, um, I, I encourage everybody before that, that doctor leaves the room, mm-hmm. make sure you understand what is going on, what he said, what the plan is. Cause a lot of times that's all that a patient wants to know. What's my plan? Tell me the plan. Yeah. And if I can, t- I want the patient to know everything that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be pretty um, transparent, especially because, as you know, I am on both sides of the spectrum. You know, yeah. I'm on, I, I mean, I am that caregiver yes. where I am going to the appointments mm-hmm. with my, like, you know, on the other end with my, with my husband, but yes. on the flip side, I'm also that nurse. Mm-hmm. So I see both sides from the doctors having to go see other patients where that nurse having to, um, having other patients, um, which everybody is important, but on the flip side, you've got that patient that just wants to know what is going on with me. Tell me, Tell me what the plan is for me. Am I sick? Am I going to get better? Um, how are we going to treat this? Yes. How long am I going to be in the hospital? What's going to ha- What are the side effects from these drugs you're giving me? Can I afford this? That's um, a big one. Can I afford the treatment that you're 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 going to give me that I have to go to save my life? We had amazing insurance. But before I got married. My my working insurance that I had was not as great as my husband's insurance. And let me tell you, they talk to you different when you have different type of insurance. They're not supposed to, but they do. And I see that being a problem. I seen a lady break down because she knew she could not afford her treatment. And she walked out of there and all she said is, I'm going to die. And I was like, oh, my God, I've seen it where there was a young woman who was a person with a disability and they kept saying, "Uh, come on, we're going to take you to your room. We're going to take you to your room. They wasn't understanding that the young lady thought her room was home. So she started to have a behavior in the middle of the hospital and nobody knew what to do with this. And I was just like, "Okay, this is where. Um, we have to advocate for our care. This is one Absolutely. of the reasons why I became a lay navigator with UNC. And then I started working with their actually um, patient and family advisory council because those questions are not answered. Doctors right. are there to cure us, right? We hoping that they're going to cure, they're going to 
stop the progression of something. And then the nurses are there to nurture, nurture us. But what happens after that when the doors close? And you being a caregiver and a nurse, what happens when you go to an appointment with your loved one and they don't know you're a nurse at first? And they're talking. And I don't tell them. Yes. And, and tell me why. Tell me why. Um, well, they, they, number one, they, it's almost like they, they, they treat you different or, you know, you know, it's like, cause even when I have patients that are nurses, um, they looking at what you're doing. It's almost like people are trying to critique what you're doing as a nurse, mm-hmm. when, but as it's almost like they feel like, Oh, that nurse knows it all. And I don't know it all. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we've been to the doctor recently where I'm asking the doctor, um, why didn't you give us this information earlier? Mm-hmm. Had you told us this earlier, um, he would have done something different. Yeah. But because no one, in my exact words were, no one told us this. We've been going to you for three years and those have never been your words. Yeah. I've been to every, I'm, you know, as you know, my loved one is not allowed to go to the doctor by, by himself. himself. Yes. <laughs> um, and like I said, that's one of the reasons why, um, um, I want to say I wanted to go back to school to become a nurse practitioner because I want to be an advocate and an educator and break it down to people in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is the doctors come and they give you all this. They tell you all this stuff. They tell you what's going on, but they tell it to you in doctor's terms. Yeah. They give it to you because I will never forget when I was in school. And um, the first time I, I was like, F this. And I quit nursing school for the yeah. first time when I was in clinicals. Um, she said, Tell it to me on the cellular level. Well, I'm not going to tell that patient what's going on to them on a cellular level, uh-huh. what that medication is going to do to them on a cellular level, because they don't understand that. Yes. Tell it to me where I understand. And if I understand something, then I can go with you. Yeah. I'm going to do what you tell me to if I understand. But if I don't understand, it's like, oh. Uh... And that's how a lot of patients feel. What am I taking this for? Oh, yeah. yeah. I need to know more than it's a water pill. Uh- I need to know um, more than... Um, then let me then it's uh, a diuretic. Yeah. I don't I mean the the most the average person doesn't know what a diuretic is. Yes. Yes. So I really feel like we just need to break it down to people on layman's terms. Um I feel like if you can have somebody, if that patient if you can't if your husband can't be there, if your sister or daughter can't be there, put them on speakerphone. Yep. Yeah. Um, now you need to let that doctor or that nurse know that someone is listening to the phone call because that's almost that's it's it's almost an invasion of privacy. Yes. But it is But on the flip side, put him on speakerphone. That doctor isn't going to care. Yes. He wants you to understand. And he wants um, you to go home and be able to follow the instructions that are given to you. Like my absolutely. team was amazing, but my first when I was first diagnosed. I'd be dead. We would not even be talking right now. I would not have this podcast um, because they were garbage. I have to well, say. Well, that's when you went and got a second opinion. I correct? went and got a second opinion. And who told me to get a second opinion? A nurse practitioner on the team of the doctor. And told me to go to UNC and gave me the two best doctors I should go to. All right, Dr. Amos and Dr. Carey. She said, those two will take care of you at UNC. And it was a nurse practitioner that told me because I had cancer in my lymph nodes. And my doctor was like, you're fine. It was a small amount. It's in my lymph nodes. All you need is radiation. 
It didn't start out like that. All you need is a new set of tatas. I'm like, nothing else, but it's in my lymph nodes. So it was a nurse practitioner that told me to go get a second opinion. And because I was living in Charlotte, my husband lived in a different city, I was going to get my care either at UNC or Duke. Um, it right. all just depends. But that nurse was the one that told me to go for a second opinion. So, Absolutely. man, she saved my life right there. You know, a nurse practitioner. There you go. And my nurse practitioner is the bomb that works with Dr. Carey. My team is amazing. So you're going back to school to be a nurse practic- practitioner? Uh, yes, actually, yes. I just enrolled. Um, class start May 5th. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> right around yeah, the corner. Am I nervous? Absolutely. But am I, it's time to do it. Like I said, um, it's just time to do it. I've always wanted to do it. I just, you put, you put things off and I always said, you, you, you know, we have a plan for our life. We all, you know, this is the way, Oh, I'm going to do this at this time. Mm-hmm. But I always say, um, when you make a plan, God laughs at our plan. He already knows the end results. He already knows what's, what, what it is. He laughs at, he laughs at our plan because it's already written. Yes. So, you know, with that being said, but so back to your question as yes. far as, but you asked me about, um, if they don't have the money. Yeah. So m- most of the time there is um, some type of charity care mm-hmm. um, between, and there is um, a case manager in the hospital mm-hmm. um, between the care manager and the social worker. Um, there are a lot of resources. Now, do you have to jump hoops to get to those resources? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But there, I mean, if I have to jump hoops to get to, to get to my um my, my end result to live, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. And that's what the resource center at UNC is for is they help you connect. Yeah. Uh, I utilize every free program from yoga to getting my house clean for as long as I think it was three months that I was in treatment. I mean, they had so many things and people were like, well, why are you using those things? Because I can, and I'm going through treatment. They offer it to everybody, no matter your income level. My thing was to stay healthy, my mind, my spirit, my body, my soul, everything. And for my husband to have someone there too, because it wasn't just for me, it was for my husband. As you know, or maybe you don't know, you are like my husband, dearest cousin. Like you are, don't tell Eddie this. <laughs> this you, you, you are his favorite <laughs> cousin. I don't know if you should be saying that on live. I know, right? You <laughs> are his favorite. But um, it's because that when he calls you, you're here. Doesn't mean that he doesn't, you know, he can't call any of his other cousins. But like you came, I was slit from side to side, and I needed. You looked at my bandaging. You looked at everything, and you're just like, "Oh, okay, that looks clean. Okay." It wasn't you gawking at me, and your mom yeah. is the same way. Your mom has seen my insides and my outsides. And has said, okay, what's next? (laughs) She's been there when I'm about passed out on the floor. She told me my lips were blue. I had no idea. And all I needed was her cold hands on my neck because I felt like I was going into shock. And that's when I lost all that blood. That's a whole nother story that I don't think I've ever (laughs) talked about. (laughs) After the girls, after my husband broke his leg. 
Right. And then I had the I had the girls first, and then he broke his leg, and he had surgery seven days later or something like that. It's a blur these days. It's now what? They're going on four years old. Now but it's just a blessing. It's a blessing. <laughs> Today is nine years. Nine years since I was on that table. And my life, yes, when they tell you that you have cancer, when I started treatment, and my treatment started with surgery, that's when it became real for me. And I remember my husband asking the surgeon, um, did you get enough sleep? He said, because you don't look like it because you got a mellow yellow or something in your back pocket. <laughs> so he wanted to make sure that the doctor got enough sleep. The doctor was just looking at him. And I was like, yeah, my husband's a special one, but I love it because he advocates for my care. Absolutely. And, yes. And they they got along so well because he advocated for my care. Now, what do you do for yourself? You being a caregiver, you being a nurse, what do you do for self-care? That's a lot. Um, music, I think, is one of my biggest therapies. Mm-hmm. Um, between, now, you, as you know, I've got um, the big, um, I've got the big beats, the big headphones, yeah. I've got the AirPods. <laughs> yeah. um, I have the... Um, I have, um, what is it, Sirius Radio. Mm-hmm. I have um, Pandora. I have, like, three different radio music things. Plus uh-huh. YouTube. Like, I love music. So between music and then um, I do a lot of um, different type. I think I do a lot of different type meditations. I uh-huh. have to do stuff that I need to do every now and then. Like you said, for self-care. Yeah. I talk to myself on the way to work. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm probably I'm like positive patties. Yeah. When it at work, like everybody's like, "Oh, she's at work because it's it's gonna be all right." Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I know I'm going home. Yeah. Um. And in my like you know, I've always said my house is is, is peaceful, it's drama free. Yeah. It's my safe haven. Yep. When I come home, I sometimes I'll sit in the car for five or ten minutes to go through my day because I need to leave it in the car and mm-hmm. then come into come into the house it's been a few times where i have brought it home um and i think because i've told you about one time when um like work was work was really bad like i had a patient that that um died same age as my husband yeah same first name as my husband mm. and i came home and i didn't realize that it touched me that bad yeah. but i came home and like spazzed out on him and he's like what's wrong with you mm-hmm. um some days you take it home and People don't realize, like, what it is to go to work and be a nurse. Because I hear all the time, oh, we only work three days a week. Yes, I work less than six months out of the year, technically, uh-huh. but I work. Um, when I go to work, my goal is to make sure that my patients are out of pain, um, that their spirits are high, um, that I give them the best care that I can. Um, um, I really feel like um, I was brought on this earth to give other people, to just spread a little joy. Yeah. So... And when people are sick and they're in the hospital, they don't need negative Nancy. Oh, my goodness. I've had some bad experiences with nurses where we actually had to have uh, a nurse removed from my care. Two nurses Mm -hmm. removed from my care. Um, One of the nurses was talking about the doctor in a negative way. It was actually racial what he said about our doctor. And... um, I'm like, if he's talking that openly about the doctor, what is he saying when he walks out the door? And I had lymph, I have, I have lymphedema in my left arm, um, and it's severe. Um, 
And they wrote all over my arm, no needle pricks, no blood pressure, no nothing. And it's written on my arm with a Sharpie. It's on the door. It's by my bed and it's on the outside of the door. And you know, when you're in the hospital, you're sleeping, your loved one is now catching some Z's and a nurse walked in and put a blood pressure cuff on my left arm. My husband popped up so quick, get out. Because it's clearly states no blood pressure to be taken on this arm. And yet he still was going to do it like it was nothing. And I was like, and he's like, well, you know, we'll just switch arms. No, what you're going to do is get out. Because something that simple, what will you do for something else? And that's what made my husband always be there. I always, because there's always been a situation where we just had to redirect someone. And then we were fine. But there were some situations where I was like, I no longer want that person in my room. I don't want them to be a part of my team. And you have the right to say that. Am I right? You do. Oh, absolutely. You have the right to to say, I, you know, I don't want, can I have another nurse? Mm-hmm. You have that right. Um, but on the flip side, that nurse also has the right to say, so I always say, um, I am not going to be bullied as a nurse either. Yeah. Um, I am not going to, now, I give respect and I understand that, you know, you don't feel good. And you may not be the nicest person. And I get that. You in the hospital. Yep. And I'll be like, sometimes I'm going to room and I'm like, hey, girl, hey, <laughs> I'm giving you all of me. Uh-huh. You know, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. You don't want to be bothered. You've already had three different people come in your room. You mm-hmm. know, you woke up if between 12 and 4 in the morning. Somebody came and sniffed your blood, <laughs> get your blood. And then they check your body signs. The minute you fall asleep, somebody wake you up. So here I come. First thing in the morning, I'm like, good morning. And you're like, what do you want now? And I'm like, dang. So, but, so, um, and I've had very, I'm like, dang, they're not the nicest person. But I get it. As long as you don't call me out my name, mm-hmm. I can deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, but like I said, I will, I've had patients watch and look, you're not going to bully me. Uh-huh. <laughs> But no, you absolutely have the right to say, um, let me speak to the charge nurse. I would like a new nurse. If yes. you ask for something, you know, um, because at the end of the day, the patient is, it's about that patient. It's not yeah. about me. Um, it's not about my feelings. Yeah. It's just about me doing my job. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we don't have to be friends. I'm not taking anybody's number, but you need, you deserve as a patient quality care. Quality care. Yes. Um, at its finest. Exactly. Um, it doesn't matter if you have insurance. It doesn't matter if you are um, the president's daughter. Uh-huh. You deserve the same respect as a person in the bed in the room next to you with no insurance. Yeah. All um, day long. All day long. I don't care if you're homeless. I don't care if you, you know, I don't care how much a house costs. I don't yes. care what you do. Um, you, everybody deserves respect. And have you ever been in a situation where... The doctor might have been a little abrupt um, with uh, a patient um, and you had to step in. I'm trying to think. I'm sure I know I have. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, well, I think, well, the situations are normally different because a lot of times the doctors are a little abrupt with their um 
verbiage. Yeah. They get a little abrupt or because and it's for it's always normally that language barrier where yeah. they're frustrated because the patient doesn't understand them. Yes. And so I'll be like that mediator and say, Hey, the he's saying this or do you understand the doctor said such and such? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Yeah. A lot of the doctors, they like it when the nurse can come in and be there to hear what the plan is. Oh good. it's not always possible. Um, I will try to, if I see the doctor coming, if I'm not like too busy, I'll try to walk in there with him mm-hmm. because that way I know what he, you know, I know he doesn't have to come looking for me later to say, Hey, Erica, yeah. I want this to happen because, um, a lot of times they may not get to go put their note in, yeah. um, within the, within that hour, within that two hours. Mm-hmm. And so if the patient said, Hey, what that doctor saying? And You're if their able. note is not in the computer, I'm like, you won't listen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then I have to page the doctor and be like, I'm sorry to bother you, but so to avoid all that, if I can be in the room and hear it, yeah. and then the communication level, everybody's on the same page. Yes. That's what a lot of it is about. Everybody being on the same page. I try to work my days in a row. So for consistency for that patient and for mm-hmm. myself, for that patient, because they get tired of, if you're in the hospital for three days yes. and you've had six different nurses. Oh, Lord, yes. I've been there. Right. So I'll tell you, hey, I'm I'm working today. I'll be back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And they like, okay, good. And when I come in, I tell you, I'm coming to work. I'm here from 7 to dark 30, about 730 is when I'm here. <laughs> and they, you know, they laugh. They're like, okay, good. She's going to be here. And I'll tell them I'm here all day. If you, if you need something, if you push that red button, it's going to ring this phone that I have. Okay. Uh-huh. And they're like, okay, good. Um, depending on the patient, I'll, if they're like pretty independent, I'll yeah. say, look, if you need me, you call me. I'm not going to keep bothering you, but if it's somebody that needs a little bit more care, then I'll mm-hmm. go buy a little bit more. But. And that's important, knowing your patient. Like, if they're good and you need me and you know every time I come in here I'm bothering you, let me just let you get your shut eye, let you have your peace, let you process what's going on, and call me if you need me, and I will be here. And that's important. Having a nurse, having a doctor, having a team that you can count on. Now, with the coronavirus going on, mm-hmm. and not just for cancer patients, what is important for us out here in the world, roaming around? Like, do you think that the mask, the gloves, the hand sanitizer, all that stuff is going to help with social distancing? Absolutely. Now, the gloves, now, it, it, I think, look, we... That, the gloves is my pet peeve. I have actually told somebody in the grocery store. Um, so you've had these same gloves on for an hour. And you didn't touch everybody's stuff. There's no point in you wearing it. Like you said, well, it makes me feel better. But you still spreading it. Whatever. If it's on you, mm-hmm. you still spreading it. Uh-huh. You done touched your, your back pocket. I done seen you touch your phone. And you touch this groceries. And you touch that, that cash register. Mm-hmm. So if it's here... You got it. You're going to take it home. Just wash your hands. Hand sanitize. Now, the mask, if you're sick, I really believe that um, if you have any type of immunocompromised, mm-hmm. um, you should definitely have something on. Mm-hmm. Um, I wear, When I go to the store, I wear them. Um, and for the most part, I'm, I, hell, I'm healthy as an ox. Yeah. What is it? Healthy and strong as an ox, healthy as a mule, one of them two. One of them two. Um, you both. It's something like that. I'm For the most part, I'm pretty healthy, but I wear it out. Yeah. Um, when I'm in the hospital, we now have to wear it continuously. Um, 
But if you don't have to go out, don't. I mean, honestly, and mm-hmm. it is hard staying in the house. Oh, like I said, I've been trying to find things to do. Like roller skating. <laughs> oh, yes. Because, you know, like, oh, I didn't. Like I said, I did go online to Dick's and um, order them, and they brought them out to the car. Mm-hmm. I rolled the window down. The man said, can I see your ID? I showed it to him, and I said, just throw it in the seat. <laughs> he didn't touch me. I didn't touch him. He had his mask on. Uh-huh. I had mine on. Um, I think, and honestly, I think that the... Um, that we shouldn't open back up yet because it's going to be another wave of people catching it. Yes. How early did you know about the coronavirus as a nurse? Um, coronavirus, like I said, we've been taking care of patients with coronavirus six, seven months ago. Yes, yes. Because in the first time I did, I, was, I had to look it up. Like, what the hell is coronavirus? You know, uh-huh. I've heard of um, like the rhinovirus, which is basically somebody with a cold. Uh-huh. But, um, but you still, um, they're still considered um, contacts. So There's still contact precautions. Yeah. So I, and I actually, the first time I seen it, I had to Google it because I'm like, what the hell is coronavirus? Uh-huh. Um, but it was not as serious. Now, it was kind of like we put them on contact precautions like it was somebody that had the flu. Uh-huh. You know, um, but now I think it's just coming up so rampant. Yeah. I do believe that a lot of people are not getting tested. Yes. Um. And in the beginning, I believe that the doctors didn't know what it was. Like, Mm -hmm. people are testing negative for the flu. They're testing negative for pneumonia, but they're still sick. It's like um, fever with unknown origin. And we're treating it with antibiotics. Yes. We don't know which one really to use. And so they're just hoping that, you know, it's fighting it. But it's a virus that has to run its course. Yeah. I remember when I called you and I said, I'm taking myself to urgent care because Mm -hmm. I can't breathe. And this was in October. And every time I coughed, I felt like I was going to die. And that was in October. I tested negative for the flu. And then I'm allergic to every known whatever. So they gave me the pain medicine that I had when I actually had my girls. Because I was like, I'm not leaving here until somebody gives me something. Because I can't breathe. And and that's what they gave me. And that was back in October. So they didn't test me. They test me for the flu. And it was like, okay, you don't have the flu. Well, there is something in this body. And uh, it is not one of those germs that my little boogers bought home. It's something else. So Well, um, at that time, um, like, you know, strep, strep throat, having strep, that's just a, um, that's that, you know, that's swab in the back of your thing. Mm -hmm. Um, the flu is a different, um, swab Mm -hmm. and then it's a whole virus. It's a whole panel of stuff when they test for like different other, um, viral infections, Uh I mean, respiratory infections. But I think at that time it was pretty expensive. So they just not testing people for that. Mm -hmm. Um, unless, you know, they like, on the, I hate to say that, but they're deaf and dying today. Yeah. Like, oh, this person really can't breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, back in October, this wasn't rampant like it is now. No, no. So people need to stay home, do social distancing, um, wear a mask if they're out in public. And if you're going to wear gloves, you need to take off your gloves before you touch your wallet. And you need to take them off the right way. And I Absolutely. sometimes hand sanitize my gloves. Like, I'm like, okay, let me hand sanitize these gloves right here. Because I used to wear gloves because people were just nasty. 
And Absolutely. I was, and then we even talked about like, and one thing I really didn't think about was pumping gas. Yeah. Like how many daggone people touch a gas pump? All the time. And I always put on gloves when I have a gas at the gas station or I have some type of, you know, hand sanitizer or something in the car because so many people touch everything and so many people are just nasty not just coronavirus nasty just nasty <laughs> and you hate to say it but this having this big type this this huge pandemic is mm. making people really wash their hands now i um, said the same thing now people are washing people... their hands because i've seen people come out the bathroom and not wash that sprinkle sprinkle some water like if you don't get some soap on your hands okay soap and water yes soap and water <laughs> I'd rather use soap and water than hand sanitizer if I could. Yeah, yeah, all day long. It's just not always feasible because of the way, like, the hospital is set up. Mm -hmm. But even after um, I use hand sanitizer, because when you go into somebody's room, you're supposed to put some hands, some gel gel in, and then when you walk out, you gel out. Uh So I done walked in three rooms, but at that point in time, my hands are dry, but they're sticky. So when I go wash them, I have to wash them twice because the first time um, the residue from the hand sanitizer mm-hmm. is stuck on there. So I got to wash them a second time just so they they clean and not sticky. Uh-huh. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. Wash 20 seconds. Count to your ABCs, one, two, threes. Hello. <laughs> well, Miss Erica, I have kept you on this podcast for 43 minutes. And I have been that long. It's been that long, which means we're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to make sure that we have you back again. But is there anything that you would like to share with my millions (laughs) of listeners? Claim it. Claim it. Claim it, my millions of listeners out there. Anything you would like to say? Um... The, right now, the only thing I can say is, as far as I remember, you said that, like, as far as when my sister came to your house mm-hmm. and the first look she had, um, one thing is to don't judge someone mm-hmm. or even look at them sideways yeah. or like they get, I call it, oh, you looked at me like I got two heads. <laughs> you never know what somebody else is going through. Yeah, that's true. Um, they may look good on the outside, but you don't know what what they are fighting or if they're hurting on the inside. It's, so it's easy to assume what someone else is going through, but we don't know. Like with these, ma- you don't know what mask they got on. Yeah, whether they are sick on the inside, physically, mentally, uh, emotionally, we don't know what's going on with anybody. So, um, at the end of the day, we could just show love to everyone. Everyone, I mean. Even if even if you don't love them, show respect. Hey, yeah. how you doing? You never know what just speaking to someone could do for that person. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, like I said, we're all human. We all just trying to make it out out of here. Um, we all just trying to see what tomorrow is going to hold without everything in the world right now. And why? How does it hurt? being positive and just saying hey or showing just a little love just a little you want someone to love you absolutely absolutely because once you get past the elephant in the room you know why the person's there right so you just have to make sure you open up and that's one of the things that i learned to do was open up more and and if i have to shut that door be okay with closing it and then if you open it up again, just make sure that you're kind. Being kind is, is is a big thing for me right now. Well, I thank you for being on my podcast. I'm nine years out. Today is bittersweet. Amen. Um, and I hope to never, ever have to have a nurse like you 
um, excuse me, let me have to have a nurse like you for cancer. I want you to stay my cousin, my friend. But if I had to go through this and I'm not claiming that, you going to be the first person I call. I'm like, hold up. Yeah, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come down here. Come to all the appointments with my husband. Just tell me the date. Just tell me the date. And uh, you'll be here. But I I pray that there is never going to be a time where I have to call you for that. But I know you'll be there. I am there. All right. We're not going to speak that. We're going to speak that. We go, we're just going to claim what we're going to pray is that um, I see in the near future so that the girls can uh, see my face again and we can just yes. hang out because we've never had our zoo date. Okay. Cousin time. So it's on. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Miss Erica. And I appreciate you being on my podcast. Until next time, guys, you're listening to Chemo Glow. Sound editing is provided by Josh Masters. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes. Connect with Chemo Glow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also find more content at chemoglow.com.